channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on April 15th, 2023, and is current through the Star Trek Picard episode Vox, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. It's a catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a regular news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are six television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me, and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is returning guest and co-host of Trek Live over on YouTube. It's Bill Mann. Bill, welcome back to Weekly Trek. Thanks so much for having me back. It's always a pleasure. All right, Bill. Well, you know the drill. I want to know something's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at warp 10? Or I guess what's the maximum warp speed of the Enterprise D, right? Warp <laughs> 9.91 or something like that. So- something like that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the temptation is to go down the road of uh, we got one episode left of Picard season three, and there's a lot of exciting stuff happening there. But I'm expecting an Amazon package today. Finally, uh, I'm a little behind on this of the uh, four next generation movies in 4K. Oh, and I'm excited yes. to dive into them. I'm I've I've been enjoying the Trek core tweets kind of showcasing the difference between the transfers here with the 4K 2023 releases with the 2009 Blu-rays, which we've been living with for a long time. And uh, I enjoy those uh, interactions that that are inevitably uh, linked to those tweets. And uh, I'm looking forward to diving into those movies, which I haven't seen in a couple of years now and, and hopefully enjoying them in the 4K quality. Yeah, I'm loving these new transfers. I watched generations and i've watched first contact and i think the thing i like most about them is like the movies have color again yeah right like it was shocking to me looking at the comparison pictures between the 2009 blu-rays and the you know this year or i guess last year you know like upgrade to 4k is actually i had forgotten how much color was in all of these movies first contact particularly is a very pallid movie on blu-ray right like it's just very it's very gray yeah and partially as a consequence of like you know the enterprise e sets themselves were not like set up to sort of like or at least my perception of them for the last you know 13 years has 14 years has been that there was just not a lot of color in those sets but now revisiting it in 4k the way it was meant to be seen i'm like Oh yeah, there's actually a ton of color in these sets, right? Mm. It's a different color palette from the one that the Enterprise D had, but it's not a nothing color palette. And like, you know, it comes through in the costumes and in the consoles and even in the makeup. And it's wonderful. It like it re-injects life back into these movies that the Blu-rays had sort of just like seeped out, like, let alone all the, you know, overly sharpened faces and right. you know, that look like waxwork models, you know, all that having been gone people looking like people again it's like oh actually you know it's like it's not just your motion pictures and wrath of cons that you know 1980s movies that benefit the most from 4k restoration actually the most recent ones do too because the 2009 blu-rays did them dirty in a lot of ways and it's really nice that i can like put those in the trash and move on from them and like watch the movies the way that they were supposed to be seen in the movie theater that's what's so exciting about it to me that it's like you said it's been 13 years 14 years however 
since I think 13. Yeah. Since those were kind of the standard and, and the, the, the transfers that you would find either on your shelf on the Blu-ray or, you know, on, on Netflix or wherever the movies happen to be living over the course of the last you know, decade plus. So it'll be, it's exciting to be able to kind of rediscover those movies. And uh, I'm, I'm, expe- I'm especially excited to look at generations because I know, you know, the, the visual flair of that movie can be a little divisive. Some people like it. Some people love it. Uh, some people hate it. Um, I've always been a big proponent for it. I think it's yeah, beautiful the, the way that the, the Enterprise D sets are lit and, and uh, the, the John Alonzo, the Academy award-winning cinematographer brought like a, a kind of a fresh flair to uh, those standing TV sets and getting to see that on a really sharp 4k transfer is uh, exciting. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. And like, Generations, the Blu-rays made the movie green, and it's wonderful to see the green (laughs) gone, finally. (laughs) I guess I heard someone told me that part of the reason why that happened was when they did the transfers in 2009, they wanted to try and make the Star Trek movies as a whole look kind of, you know, samey, right? If you watch them all the way, if you watch one through 10 mm. back to back, that you would have a visual experience that felt comparable. That choice I completely hate in every yes, way. <laughs> it's, yeah, just like an absolutely disastrous choice. <laughs> totally. That we've had to live with for 14 years. But fortunately, yeah. just like international distribution for Star Trek is finally, we are coming out of the woods for. Mm. I think we're finally coming out of the woods of this particularly egregious chapter of Star Trek history and can put it to bed and enjoy the 4K and the 4K Blu-rays moving forward as the definitive presentation of these movies. You're here. All right, let me tell you quickly what I'm feeling good about Star Trek this week, which I am going to talk about one thing in Vox because it doesn't show up in one of the news stories and I couldn't help but like not mention it, which is the glorious, glorious moment after they're back on the Enterprise D, after you see the bridge when we hear uh, Major Barrett Roddenberry's voice reprising her role as the computer. Obviously, Major passed away in 2009, so, you know, it's not like she's around to record new dialogue uh, yeah. for it. They sampled uh, one of the lines that she had done in Chain of Command Part 2. Yep. But it was w- it was absolutely wonderful to hear Major again and for them to have sort of added that special touch of like sort of reinserting us back into not just the Enterprise D, but the Enterprise D as it was fully and completely inclusive of Majel's iconic voice as the computer. And, you know, like anytime the Majel question comes up, it's an opportunity for me to jump on a soapbox real quick. Anytime the Majel conversation comes up, you know, very quickly people are like, well, before she died, she recorded all of her phonics. So there's absolutely no reason why the production shouldn't be using Majel all the time for the computer voice and like that story has sort of like really deeply penetrated itself into the fandom's psyche so I'm going to take a moment to like set the record straight on that and the record set straight is from Rod Roddenberry, Majel's son who at STLV last year said that yes Majel did record a series of phonics but and this is most important not everything, right? They did not get the full phonics library from Majel that would be necessary to reconstruct her voice to say anything you wanted her to. And that's why you haven't seen them. Everyone's just like so outraged that people aren't using Majel's voice more in these things. And it's like, do you not stop and realize that actually there might there might be a reason, right, that like it's not happening? And the reason is the library is incomplete. Now, yes, of course, 
artificial intelligence, you know, some of the kind of programs that they've been using for shows like The Mandalorian could eventually be used to do the same thing without needing to have the phonics available. But it's just like, A... Stop being such whiny brats about it, right? Like, just number one, we'll just lay that on the table. If you're somebody who's been pissed off about them not using Majel for any reason, just, like, shut up and sit down. That's number one. (laughs) And number two is, it's wonderful that they did, and we should feel really happy and pleased that they were able to find a way to honor Majel in this episode, and that there are challenges and difficulties associated with doing that, right? Like, in this case, you need to find, like, an existing audio clip from a previous Star Trek episode that fits and they managed to find one and it's terrific and it adds to the moment and the fact that she says Captain Jean-Luc Picard and, you know, and there's that, you know, he quips about, well, I'll accept the field demotion, right? Like, it's a nice moment. It's a wonderful moment. It's a lovely moment and it's one that we should really revel in and not immediately then go to what Star Trek fans always do, which is like, well, okay, this was great, but why doesn't this happen? Or why didn't this happen? Or this is inconsistent or this doesn't work. And it's just like, shut up enjoy the moment have a great time it was a wonderful moment and let's enjoy it for what it was and i cried like a baby Mm. and have every time i've seen the episode and like that just makes it so wonderful and so worth it for them to have done that moment i think that whole sequence is just so kind of beautifully perfectly constructed i mean it's that that moment with majel's voice is kind of like the cherry on top right like yeah you get the beautifully rendered the new cg rendition of the exterior of the ship you get the which we're going to talk about the beautiful recreation of the bridge oh my god and the l cars and how dynamic everything looks and then you get that to top it all off to sort of be the wow they really pulled out all of the stops and it's it's amazing I, I i completely agree with everything you said about the use of the voice here and the non-use of it elsewhere in the franchise completely echo all of your points and um it, it was perfectly i think deployed here in this episode at that moment and i'm really glad that we got that all right well with that let's turn to the week's top stories there's a war going on and I'm a reporter. Well, yes, as we were just talking about, Star Trek Picard shocked, amazed, and astounded fans this week with the return of the of the Star Trek The Next Generation cast to their first and truest home, the bridge of the USS Enterprise D. Following the events of this week's episode, Vox, in which the Borg returned to assimilate Starfleet's entire fleet, the Enterprise crew escaped to the only ship left in the fleet that can resist the Borg, a restored USS Enterprise D docked at Geordie's Fleet Museum, where he has been restoring it from the crash on Viridian three for the last two decades. Everyone tried to talk us out of doing this because financially it's a nightmare and the timing was tight, Picard, Sharon, and Terry Metalis said about the decision to return to the Enterprise D and rebuild the iconic bridge set. To the moment we started filming, we were still gluing pieces together, but you can't have a Star Trek The Next Generation reunion without one of its major characters, which is the Enterprise. Production designer Dave Blass and art director Lisa Poskowski, who led the project to rebuild the Enterprise D bridge, discussed the challenges involved. There's the ongoing rumor that there's a warehouse somewhere that has all of this Star Trek stuff, but what exists is not a lot, Blast says. We went into the deep dive of looking at every photo ever taken and every screen cap, and we had a giant wall of inspiration at the back of the soundstage with photos of every single detail so that everyone could see that we had thought this through. Mike Okuda, who helped build the original Enterprise D bridge for Star Trek The Next Generation, also discussed the challenge. The first thing we did was go into the garage and dive into boxes and see what we still had, Okuda said. We had some original drawings 
ceilings and arch, but large chunks of it had disappeared. You realize you're going to have to reconstruct a lot of this from scratch. The bridge took a team of 50 people, about three months to complete, and the final set measures exactly the same size as the original Enterprise D bridge set from the next generation. It's all practical, as set photos have shown over the last couple of days, with nary a green screen in sight. Challenges abounded for the production team, including getting the exact curve of the iconic horseshoe correct. It's a complex curve that arches and changes thickness, Blass explained. You can only get so much information off a blueprint. The construction team printed out a full-size paper plan to lay it out and then a number of templates to shape the final piece. And even the carpet presented a challenge. The exact pattern used for the Enterprise-D bridge carpet has been out of production for decades. This season was so ambitious, and we only had two days to shoot on this thing, Matalas said. It was literally like, get everybody on, you got your four minutes of nostalgia, and then we have to boogie. But it was all very natural for them. It was like being back on stage eight at the Paramount lot. Patrick Stewart even did the Picard maneuver, which he was very proud of. And don't worry, Star Trek fans, the bridge was not destroyed at the end of production of Picard. There were lots of interested parties who wanted to save the set, Blast says. Luckily, it has a home in the Star Trek archives. Bill, what was your reaction to seeing the Enterprise-D and its bridge on this week's episode of Star Trek Picard? Oh, the same as everybody else, I'm sure. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of... A complete blubbering, gibbering wreck, Yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been kind of a dream come true it's it's been a lot of years and this is definitely the ship that i feel most like i grew up on through the television and it's not something i ever thought i mean i've said this a few times over the last you know a couple of months several months really in the lead up to the season this is the thing of all of the new star trek that i just sit in disbelief like i can't believe they did this yeah and this is sort of the the, the topper for that bringing the cast back is, is certainly one thing and an amazing thing uh and, and telling this story but this is sort of uh, just an unbelievable gift uh, to people who feel like I know you and I do about that show and how much it meant to us growing up and how much it still means to us. And folks like us would never question or, or would always be down to have the Akutas and uh, their ilk back in the production team in the art department for, for a new Star Trek. But I think going back a couple of years now when we when we heard that they were back on Picard it makes that make a lot of sense I think if they kind of had this in mind yeah to as an aspiration to, to potentially be doing it makes a lot of sense that they were a part of of this uh and I think uh the article kind of leans a lot into folks like that because they were necessary I think to accomplishing it so that you know it looks as seamless and perfect as it does it's amazing the photos that are in that article are just amazing uh, yeah. particularly i think the jordy shot of him sitting in the the pullout chair at the engineering station at the back of the bridge is just phenomenal <laughs> that they went to that detail and uh put that chair there and that it, it looks as as great as it does it's phenomenal it's so wonderful for those of us star trek fans like you and i who grew up with the next generation being our Star Trek, right? Like, yeah. obviously, we've watched the original series, we love the original series, but our introduction to Star Trek, the one that we feel most, the strongest emotional affinity and connection to, is the next generation. Like, this is our trials and tribulations, right? And yeah. I had not sort of, like, processed an emotional experience like that 
before. I mean, obviously, I love Trials and Tribulations, and I love Relics and the other, and In a Mirror Darkly, and all of those places where that original 1960s TOS bridge set has appeared long after the events and the production of, of the original Star Trek. But because TOS is a show that I love very much, but was not the one that was like the core foundational like Star Trek experience for me. Yeah. Every time that has happened and there has been those sort of those sort of Star Trek TOS moments, some of them have made me very emotional, but none of them have given me the feeling that I think TOS fans had seeing Cisco shake Kirk's hand yeah. in Trials and Tribulations in 1996, right, mm -hmm. for the 30th anniversary, or any of those other kind of waypoint moments that have happened along the way. Now I get it, right? Yeah. Like, now yeah. I understand it, because I had that moment this week where I never in a million years, right, well, not never in a million years, is right that Jeff Mandel one of the members of the Star Trek art department for Picard, who has worked on Next Generation Deep Space Nine Voyager, did a panel at STLV last year in which he showed a picture of the Enterprise D bridge under construction. LeVar Burton said in an interview, right, that was quickly scrubbed that, <laughs> you know, that they had, you know, gone back to the Enterprise D bridge. So, like, yeah. there was sort of this sense that it was coming. Yeah. Like, this was not a 100% complete surprise to anybody who is as terminally online. Uh, in a Star Trek sense as as you or I are. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was not able to process even with that knowledge, the sort of sense of scale and achievement that this was until I saw it, right? Until you see lovingly and exactingly recreated Bridge of the Enterprise D. And even then, I did not, my, my brain was not fully able to process it as a real thing. In my group chat after watching it, I was like, oh, I'm sure a bunch of that CGI, right? Like, I'm, I, like, I could not wrap my arms around the concept that every piece of it was original every piece of it was practical because of the exactly as you said right that sort of sense of like how could you be so inspired and so genius and so loving and so wonderfully committed to what you were trying to do here to do it in that level of exacting detail in every single way but they were right like you look at all those pictures like that is a real set it exists yeah. It's not it's not a manufactured creation of someone's computer. It's the thing. Mm -hmm. And it was real and it appeared in this episode. Who knows how long it will show up if they only shot on it for two days. I guess we'll I don't want to speculate too much about the season finale because I you know I, I I want to go in surprised and and not kind of like suss too much out myself. But sure. even the clip from the ready room this week, we you know, like the clip of next week's season finale has them on the bridge and mm -hmm. it's just it's wonderful it just yeah. it was such a wonderful moment that like just really kind of you know will be a very special memory for me connected to this third season of star trek picard i think the thing that we've all been prepared for and and have been enjoying for the last nine weeks was that we were going to see these actors again playing these roles again and that they were going to be together like we've been right. prepared for that yep. and that's been successful and nostalgic and cathartic and all the things. But I think what this last 10 minutes of Vox really kind of drove home was it's not, you know, as amazing as that is seeing those actors again, playing those characters again, the, the real complete picture is seeing them there uh, right. because it's so associated all together. Like yep. Seeing th that last shot when it pulls in, it's kind of sort of a, a mimic of the last shot of Encounter of Farpoint. Uh, the way it pulls into Picard in the captain's chair, yep. flanked by Riker and Troy. Like, just that image is so baked into my head and so important to me and, and so comforting to me because I 
lived through growing up, ups, downs, everything in between, kind of gravitating to that show with those people in that place, that it's impossible not to be taken aback by, holy crap, it's 35 years later and we're seeing this and it feels right. And it feels earned. And it's real. And it's real. Like, it's not, like you said, it's not what they did amazingly well in Relics with kind of creating a portion of the Constitution class bridge and kind of jury rigging some some green screen and and, and visual effects to complete the set. Like, they built the effing thing. <laughs> and and they're, they're walking around it and touching it and interacting with the set the way that they did for those seven seasons. It's amazing. It's an amazing achievement. And it's, 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 I think there's going to be a lot of understandable, you know, I, it's, it's belly aching to some extent, but I get people's desire. Like, man, couldn't they do this a couple episodes sooner and wanting to see this more? Uh, but I think building it up to this was the right choice and having this be the, the last piece of like driving home, especially to people like you and me, how much this means to us. Yeah. Uh, that, that this is sort of the, the, the sort of last mic drop kind of culmination of this whole thing. So I'm really happy with the way they've executed it. And I'm, and like you, yeah, it's, it wasn't the, a complete stunner for those who've been paying attention and latch onto every, you know, tidbit of thing every, every tidbit of news and interview and rumor no i mean it, the, the tea leaves were out there if you chose to look for them and even within the story uh, a few weeks ago I, you know you can kind of clock oh the ships all talk we need a ship that doesn't talk to the rest yeah, of the fleet right and what's in hangar 12 what would make sense to be in hangar 12 like there you, you could yeah, deduce right 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 sure. uh but that's one thing but seeing it the way that they that they executed it's a, a whole nother thing and i don't know if it's something about sir patrick's performance if it's about just oh seeing him back on the bridge of the enterprise but the six minutes from geordie asking picard what do you think admiral you think she'll fly and his response with oh yes which like the, you know the like oh yes line right like <laughs> yeah oh yeah picard has got a lot of famous <laughs> lines and that's not one that like people think of when they think of Picard but actually if you really know the character is a very Picard line yeah. all the oh, way yeah. through the end of the episode with stations please and you know make it so and like you know doing the little tug on the on the shirt as he sits down in the chair and adopting the position it's just like he's riding a bike again like it's getting back yeah on the bike. this is not a criticism of anything that Sir Patrick has done up until this point I really like the depiction of Picard in seasons one two and three up until this point but in those six minutes the character of Jean-Luc Picard felt most like that character that I knew and really liked from the TV show and the movie era than at any other point in the 29 episodes leading yeah. up to that point of Star Trek Picard. And it was just like sort of a wonderful culmination. And, and you could sort of, you know, kind of like put a narrative thematic arc onto it of the show has been about Picard coming back to himself. Mm -hmm. And this is him like completing that journey back to himself, to the Picard that, you know, he wants to be and that we as the audience want him to be. But it just was such a wonderful moment and like really kind of gelled for me literally everything together into that moment into like, we've got the Picard we want back. We've yeah. he's on the Enterprise D. He's got his, you know, his his officers around him. His family, yeah. Let's fucking go do this, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I'm good with that. Like, I, I feel like the, the build up to that has been well achieved. And I think, like, I remember feeling that we got a little 
hint of that at the end of Disengage when Crusher comes onto the bridge and he snaps into sort of like an instinctual, you know, F no, I'm in command here and takes charge. And his whole demeanor in those last couple minutes of that episode, I think, is probably the closest that we've come to the way he performs and the way that he is on the bridge of the D here right. at the end of Vox. But I, I think the fact that we didn't see that kind of side of Jean-Luc until he's on the bridge of that ship with those people in that kind of a situation makes it more powerful. I, I think, like you said, it's been a journey to kind of get back to that. And, you know, it's, it is like riding a bike. It's, it's when you're it, so much of what we are is kind of determined by our environment and who we're with and our personality kind of ebbs and flows as far as what we express and how we exude certain personality qualities dependent on who we're with and yeah, what kind right. of situation we're in. And yep. I think it makes sense that in that moment, he's Captain Picard and, you know, gets right back into kind of old mode. Just, just really, really wonderful. And like, also just to kind of put a button on this, you know, you said this, I said this, I'm going to say it again. Cause I just can't like, I, I still am having trouble processing or wrapping my arms around it. It's like, this is a level of joyful reveling in the franchise and in what has come before that I honestly, candidly, like never, ever expected to see. You know, when Star Trek came back in 2017, I was like, oh, great, right? Like, it is going to give them an opportunity to go back to previous stories and see things that we've seen before. And then when Patrick Stewart walked onto the stage and said, I'm coming back to Star Trek, right? Like, those six minutes of this episode feels like that full culmination of the arc of joy from Patrick yeah. Stewart walks onto the stage and says, I'm coming back to Star Trek. And this being like this is what you had in mind the payoff from that yeah but even in that moment it was like okay well you know yeah we're getting picard back and maybe we'll get data and Riker and troy and geordie and beverly and wharf back but it was never like i never thought it would sort of go so far as to be like and we're going to rebuild in exacting detail the bridge of the enterprise d and have these characters on that bridge right like and i'm just so grateful and blown away and impressed that they went that far yeah um and i i, I I kind of feel like like this does feel like a really special once in a lifetime moment right in terms of i still don't believe they went that far and so i'm like well i don't think anybody's going to go that far again right right but like what a wonderful thing that they did they exceeded my expectations and my hopes and my dreams about what like it could look like to revisit the next generation in some way and in a way that felt like it adds to the next generation that I'm just like, Vox is not a perfect episode. We talked for 20 minutes before we even started recording about our feelings about Vox. And I yep. have some mixed and complicated feelings about the episode as a whole, which sorry, everybody, you don't get to hear those because that was before we hit record. But just focusing on this one moment, it's just so incredible. Yeah, it's an all-timer moment in Star Trek for me, for sure. Well, red alert, Star Trek fans. The third season of Star Trek Picard seems to be yeah, pretty darn popular, raising hopes for a successor show led by Terry Metalis to Star Trek Picard, though Metalis has gone out of his way to stress this week that any Star Trek legacy show remains a twinkle in his eye and is not in any way happening or being worked on currently. Paramount has announced that the final two episodes of Star Trek Picard, Vox, and The Last Generation will be screening in IMAX in 10 US cities on Wednesday. April 19th. But don't rush out and try and get tickets. 
after a chaotic registration process that was absolutely swamped by eager Star Trek fans, all of the tickets for each showing at theaters in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Phoenix, San Francisco, Seattle, Orlando, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, and Dallas are already sold out. But if you were one of the lucky ones who did manage to get a ticket, I hope you have a tremendous amount of fun and that the excitement and enthusiasm for Star Trek Picard's final two episodes sends a strong signal to the studio that they'd be foolish not to find a way to continue telling the story of the 25th century. In addition to the IMAX production, Nielsen's streaming charts for the week of March 13th to 19th, which were released this week, feature Star Trek Picard in the top 10 streaming shows for the very first time. Yes, this is not para-analytics, Larry Nemechek's favourite way of trying to do Houdini measurements about whether Star Trek is popular or not. This is Nielsen, the company that has been doing TV ratings forever and has a sort of a, a way of calculating streaming popularity as well. Coming in ninth for the week of No Win Scenario, the show was viewed by Nielsen viewers for 310 million minutes. That's a lot of minutes if you ask me. Picard is the first Star Trek show and only the second Paramount Plus show to make it into the rankings. Paramount Original 1923 also featured a couple of weeks ago. And here's hoping over the next few weeks the show continues to climb, given that the chart only reflects the first four episodes of Star Trek Picard. And if, like me, you've been on this journey for the last nine weeks, you know that there's a lot of cool stuff that happens after episode four and the online buzz for it has continued to grow each week so i wonder where vox will ultimately clock in next month when they give us the results for this week bill how are you feeling about the popularity of star trek picard season three very exciting i'm as somebody who roots for this to succeed in every way i'm i mean just getting an opportunity i don't have an opportunity because it's not coming to philadelphia to go to a movie theater and see two episodes of the show you know projected in like a world-class kind of a format like that is is exciting um, i'm thrilled for the people who were able to get tickets or have an opportunity to go do it uh, and I'm, I'm envious of, of those folks but more than anything i'm just excited that the show has made a footprint large enough to be granted an opportunity like that uh, i think it's a good sign for star trek standing with this kind of ever evolving streaming landscape that we find ourselves in that's a a uh nebulous kind of a situation seemingly uh, increasingly so by the month and this is a, this is a promising sign i think that you know this show is doing really well it's it's been successful um if it was anything less than a rousing success from paramount's perspective i doubt they would be offering something like this as an opportunity and uh those nielsen numbers just kind of drive home that that story i'm sure you know paramount's well aware of whatever analytics are, are driving those kinds of numbers and it's all positive i mean I'm, I'm as somebody who wants this to succeed like i said and wants star trek to continue to grow and wants you know the 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 sort of taste extended through that we got in 2022 or 2021 of like the whatever it was 50 some episodes in 52 weeks this is this is what you want to see and it's uh, it's encouraging. Yeah, this really matters, both the IMAX thing and the Nielsen charts thing, right? Yeah. In the way that Star Trek only ultimately continues if people watch it. Yeah. And, you know, I think we have sort of always had this bit of a sense that, like, well, the current era of the Star Trek franchise is not equivalent to, you know, like the Mandalorian, right? And if you look right. at the Nielsen minutes, Star Trek Picard gets watched for 310 minutes, and the Mandalorian that week was over a billion, right? Yeah. Like, I think that might have been the premiere week for the Mandalorian. So it's like, you know, there's sort of this sense that the Star Trek franchise has always sort of been um, 
sort of a second tier franchise, which is okay, right? Like yeah, more niche. Yeah, it's more niche, but uh, 900 episodes later, it still seems to be going fine. So like, yeah, you know, it's yeah. not a big deal that it doesn't, you know, it hasn't sort of cracked into the top 10 prior to now. But I think it, it but it is a big deal that it cracks into the top 10. And it does sort of tell us that Star Trek Picard season three. I, so I, the thing is, I like... I don't know how long Nielsen have been doing streaming rankings. So, like, has it been the last five years? Has it been the last ten years? You know, that sort of matters a little bit to, like, what I'm about to say, but... Comparatively. Yeah, yeah, comparatively, I think it's possible to make the takeaway from this to say that Star Trek Picard Season 3 is the most popular Star Trek production since 2017, right? And, like... That's important. That's important for a few reasons. It's it's good to bring people into the Star Trek franchise, right? However, they're ultimately accessing it. And it's also good from the perspective of, I really liked Star Trek Picard season three as a whole. And like, I would like more Star Trek like that. And if that's right. what's popular and that's what gets people's attention and is driving attention and eyeballs and subscriptions for Paramount Plus, then hopefully that bodes well for more in its vein in the future that people will lock on to and respond well to, right? Especially in a moment when there is this sort of contraction in streaming and there is this, you know, sort of quest for profitability by the studios delivering Star Trek's most popular and best foray into right, like, you know, putting that bid on the table is certainly, I think a a good sign for the franchise. I, You know, I just hope the executives ultimately listen to it and, like, you know, I want the successor show, right? Like, I want Mm -hmm. what comes next. And and I think this sort of, if anything's going to position the franchise to, like, get that, it's probably this. And so, you know, it's good that it's happening. The other thing that I really am pleased about is it, it really does, I think, kind of demonstrate Star Trek The Next Generation status as like truly classic television that has gotten better with age and has, and has uh, deepened the following. And, you know, people people feel really strongly about that show. People who are more casual viewers of good TV than, than, than us, you know, as far as like just being passively familiar with like people know star trek the next generation and i think that understandably is driving some of these numbers and as somebody who loves that show as much as i do that's nice to see that 35 years later that cast and those characters and the promise of them being back and the the intrigue that that brings about goes beyond you and me (laughs) like people people like us that that kind of penetrates pop culture and because i remember being young and feeling that even even at for me, seven years old, Star Trek Generations being on the cover of Time and Entertainment Weekly and feeling like that's a big deal, that movie was. Yeah. The the lead up to it, the ramp up to that. This kind of reminds me of those big moments in, in Star Trek kind of penetrating that way, which is good. But this week's episode of Star Trek Picard was not all fun and nostalgia. It also featured the shocking death of Todd Stashwick's Liam Shaw. Talking to TV Guide, Stashwick reflected on the character's arc and his time with the Star Trek franchise. About Shaw's death, Stashwick said, quote, the writer in me completely understands narratively how this is a satisfying karmic loop where he is paying back the debt that someone else paid for him 30 years ago during the Battle of Wolf 359. So I understand it and I find it beautiful and poetic and sad and heroic in all of the things that you want in a death. And simultaneously, no one wants to die, especially with a character that you love so much. He also talked about what it was like to film Shaw's death scene with Seven of Nine actor Jerry Ryan. It was wonderful, he said. She's such a giving actor, and she's such a great scene partner, and she's such a great human being that it's genuinely sad. It was genuinely sad. I have no other way to put it. We both went through this whole season together, and reshaping who Seven of Nine is, and then getting to know who Shaw is, and Shaw is very much seen through the lens of Seven. I think it was sad, it was wonderful, and she was so giving, and she's right there with uh, you when you're performing, so it's great to know you're in good hands 
fans when you're doing a scene with Jerry Ryan. And how does the actor feel about the arc of his career beginning with an appearance in Star Trek Enterprise and reaching this point with a return to Star Trek? An embarrassment of riches, he said. It has been this lovely kind of mathematical equation. Terry worked on Enterprise, and then I got to work with him on 12 Monkeys for four seasons, and then he created this role for me. It's been this lovely convergence of opportunity and gave me a friendship that is unmatched. I think we're a good team. I think he knows how to create characters for me, and I love playing the roles that he crafts. I love it. And on the approach that Stashwick brought to the character of Shaw, he explained how he portrayed the character. Stashwick played Shaw as, quote, exhausted. Emotionally exhausted was a big thing. Beleaguered was a big thing, like a man who is carrying a burden in his soul and heart for so many years that it has become his personality. And so from that, he suffered no fools. He just said whatever he was thinking. He was over it, even though he was still in an exploratory vessel, still had that burning curiosity that a Starfleet officer has, and then the need to carry out the orders of Starfleet because that's what keeps people alive so that they can continue their exploration. But it was all through a sense of, boy, I'd rather be napping. This is a really great interview and I encourage you to check out the show notes for the whole thing because I wasn't able to include even half of the great quotes from Stashwick about Shaw in this. But Bill, what was your reaction this week to the death of Captain Liam Shaw? It was sad to see for sure. I've really enjoyed his character and Todd Stashwick's performance. I think his his big scene in No Win Scenario is one of my favorite performances, sequences in, in Star Trek, certainly since it's been back in 2017. I think he's amazing there and has been great all season in that he's, I think the questioner says, hate him, love to hate him, love him. That sort of evolution that I think a lot of people kind of went through with that character was certainly real for me. But, I, you know, I kind of personally felt like this was likely to be where it was going to go. I, th- yeah. I certainly felt like th- his character is kind of designed to be in service of Seven of Nine's arc and, you know, the, that dialogue that she has with Picard and Riker about being uneasy about her place in the command structure and getting used to Starfleet. And it, it, there's, there, there, I, th- I felt like they were very kind of satisfactory, satisfyingly, but transparently teeing up this journey to the captain's chair for Seven of Nine. And I felt like to get there, what happened this week was kind of a necessary step. <laughs> and I, 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 I wasn't surprised. I should I should say that. Yeah. I was moved, but not surprised. Well, and it's a wonderful arc, right? Like, yes, in some ways, Shaw is a character whose existence is in service of the character arc of Seven of Nine. Interesting flip from how that normally happens. Normally, it's the woman character in service of the male Indeed. character's arc. Right. But like, you know, now we can look at the whole arc. We can say that, yeah, Shaw was, act- you know, Shaw existed to serve Seven's overall arc rather than the other way around. But having said that, Shaw's arc himself was great, right? Like yes. that first point that Stashwick makes about his death at the end of the season, paying back the debt he felt from when he managed to survive Wolf 359 when so many of his colleagues ultimately didn't. I love that scene in No End Scenario where he talks about his experience on the USS Constance and you know, his sort of animosity towards Picard as Locutus. And now that scene is even more important given the way that the character's arc ends, right? Like, and the fact that as much as he was a grumpy asshole throughout much of the whole season, Stashwick makes this great point, which is like, ultimately, he is a Starfleet captain, right? Like, mm-hmm. he has the brains, and when necessary, he has the brawn. He picks up a phaser and he walks into a situation that he knows he's probably not getting out of in order to help save other people. Yeah. People who, at the start of the season, he didn't really care for all that much, right? right. Like. That's a classic Starfleet captain 
move and a classic thing to do. And this might not be the end for Liam Shaw, right? I, in an interview with Collider this week, Terry Metalis said, you know, a Star Trek legacy does move forward. He wants to find a role for Stashwick and Shaw within that. So, and hey, maybe he comes back next episode, right? But like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe someone suggested earlier this week, maybe uh, Seven will use some of her... Yeah, mortal coil. Magic mortal coil abilities. Yeah, yeah. mortal coil Shaw back to life. But regardless of whether he comes back this season or ever, it was a shocking death. I didn't want it to happen in the sense that I really like the character and I would have liked him to have stuck to, stuck around and, you know, just in that way that you, any character you like, you don't like to see them leave. Right. But with a few days of reflecting on it, I'm like, actually, that was a really great arc for a really great character. Like, the arc served the character itself really well, and Stashwick's performance was wonderful, and season three of Picard wouldn't be what it is without Liam Shaw. And Stashwick himself just seems like, like, I'm really excited to meet him at STLV later this year, because he just seems like a really thoughtful person, a huge nerd. And he also said at some point in the interview, like, regardless of whether I end up doing any more Star Trek or not after this this is part of my personal legacy and it's something that's very important to me and like you know that's that is a wonderful thing to hear from anybody affiliated with this franchise yeah I like he says talking about we're all kind of lovely branches including Discovery and Strange New Worlds DS9 Voyager yeah all that even Lower Decks and Prodigy we're, they're all just branches on this big tree but more of that please I like that way of looking at yeah right place in this whole thing yes especially with all of the like undercurrents of it's yep. one Star Trek response to another Star Trek and people not liking it and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Yep. More of that, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, and lastly this week, Hero Within have started taking pre-orders for the leather Starfleet jacket worn by many of the characters in the third season of Star Trek Picard, including Riker, Troy, Shaw, Seven, Data, LaForge, Crusher. I think everyone's worn one at this point, perhaps with the exception of Picard himself. The jacket, which was so popular among the actors that Paramount had to go to their homes and take them back at the end of production, will be available from Hero Within in in sizes ranging from small up to 3XL in all three division colors, so you can get it in red, yellow, or blue. You'll need to supply your own pips and combadge, but the price will run you $99, and the jackets are expected to ship in late May. Hero Within have made a number of Star Trek jackets, including most recently the Strange New Worlds Away Team jacket. I've actually got a couple of their jackets, and they're pretty good. They're almost certainly not going to be as great as the real thing from the sets, right? Like, you probably won't love it enough that, like, Paramount would literally come and knock down your door in order to get it back but they're pretty good jackets this is a licensed product right so like you're perfectly good at buying this i know there will be unlicensed versions but like this is a licensed version um and so i'm going to support it i've pre-ordered one i've pre-ordered one of the red ones and i'm really looking forward to getting it at the end of may bill have you been a fan of these starfleet leather jackets this season very much so kind of in a weird serendipitous coincidence. Uh, the last time I was here on Weekly Trek, uh, one of the news stories was the release of uh, Strange New World's leather jacket. Oh, I was funny. really excited <laughs> about the sort of practicality and, yep. and coolness of that. Uh, these are amazing. I, you know, I kind of think $99 is a, kind of a bargain for yeah. what this, I mean, I, I don't know anything about, like, you definitely know more about the hero within sort of line i guess or you know what 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 to maybe expect out of the actual product uh but without knowing anything about what what it actually looks like what it feels like how how functional it is as a jacket 99 dollars for this is pretty pretty kind of fair and yeah uh, I'm, I'm tempted to, to pick one up because i do love them in in the season i think uh frakes and you know lavar burton look awesome in, in theirs uh and uh, up in I think I think they've been a really cool addition to the ever-growing litany of uh, Star Trek wardrobe. 
uh, that we've certainly gotten in the last several years. Yeah, like these have really grown on me in a significant way. I remember when the first car shots came out of the TNG crew and it was like, what the fuck are they wearing, right? Like, what are those th- What are those jackets <laughs> they're wearing? They look ridiculous. <laughs> and then you see them in the episodes and all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's that's actually pretty great, right? Like, And then everybody's wearing them. But like, I think on the Enterprise D bridge, all seven of the cast members are wearing those jackets. That's their yeah. like, version of the uniform. Which, you know, fair enough, right? They're all in their, you know, I think they're all in their 70s at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, you can wear whatever you want to. It's definitely like a, it's a good compromise sort of position between, you know, like giving them a sort of Starfleet E thing without having them necessarily put like proper Starfleet uniforms back on. Right. Though I wouldn't object to getting to the end of the season and having everybody properly kitted out in Starfleet uniforms. I think that'd be a really nice way That'd be to nice to see. End yeah. out the season. But yeah, like I like them. And so I, yeah, I pre ordered this one. Like I think the material will probably end up not being like leather, leather. Certainly it $99 it isn't. Yeah. But I will say, like, if, if somebody out there is looking to make a proper leather one, <laughs> you know, like, I'll pay, right? I'm in. I- I'll do it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'll start with this one. And but if somebody makes a better one, I'll upgrade to the better one. Which one did you get? That might be. Uh, I got the red one. Because, you know, yeah. like, of come course. on, yeah, yeah. yeah. What else would you do? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm a command man through and through. <laughs> But the great thing is, you know, if you are a if you are an engineering aficionado, and I have some very good friends who are very much engineering aficionados, like you can Me get too. the yellow one too, and you can get the blue one, and so yeah, it's uh, like I like the fact they they've done it on all three of the colors. I think that's really really cool. All right, well we've talked about the facts, and now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain, but it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, my guests and I give you a theory or wish we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So, Bill, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. I'm, I'm not a good predictor, so I'm not going to try to guess about what's going to happen in episode 10. Uh, I have no idea, and I'm happy about that. But I will say that if you if you play around like I'm one to do with looking at like with a spreadsheet, how dates line up and what the calendar might look like for what's to come, with Strange New Worlds looking to premiere on June 15th, I think there's a reasonable chance that we might get a a little consecutive run coming up here. 10 weeks from June 15th takes us to August 24th, which is yep. right around the time the Lower Decks is kind of stapled into at this point. Uh, and then that takes us to November 2nd, which kind of aligns with sort of around the time that it would make sense to maybe drop 10 episodes of Prodigy beginning. Yep. And then that takes us to, it looks like January 11th, which kind of aligns with where they're saying Discovery Season 5 might come. So we might be looking at, uh, starting on June 15th, a good, solid run of consecutive weeks of of new Trek. And that makes me happy. I really, I mean, I, I feel for folks like you who who do uh, writing on, you know, Trek Core or, uh, you know, the published podcasts like this on really regular regiment. It's a lot of work <laughs> to, to stay on top of one week, uh, one episode every week for such a long time without a break. But as a as a, a fan who doesn't have to do that heavy of a lift uh, to keep up with it all, I, I'm game for as many weeks as possible in a row with new, uh, with new track. And I think we're about to get a good little run. Yeah, I'm totally down for that. I love that. Yeah, and it does make sense, right? Like Lower Decks has premiered in August every season yeah and by the time strange new worlds ends i think that's the last week in august right like yeah, i think the yeah. week after it's you we're into september so if they want to keep up that like august run they gotta go straight from strange new worlds into lower decks which is not a bad thing right like we've done it plenty of times before they're two very different shows i very much get putting a break in between Picard season three and strange new Worlds season two Me too. two like tentpole seasons this year 
you know, that you want to kind of have them breathe a little bit on their own. Because it did sort of feel like the the Picard season two finale and the Stranger World season one premiere were the same week last year. And that wasn't great, right? No, please never again. Yeah, like those are two huge episodes and they deserve to breathe by themselves. And so it's nice that there will be, you know, not a long gap, but like, you know, what was it like six, seven weeks in between the end of season three of Picard and the beginning of season two of Strangely Worlds. But then, yeah, there's no reason why, particularly since, you know, it's animation sandwiched in between Strangely Worlds season two and Discovery season five, that we couldn't then have, you know, sort of a, a run that comes after that, that will take us into 2024, which would be fun and great. And I think, you know, like I would really look forward to that. And given Star Trek Picard's season three ending next week there's a sort of a somewhat melancholy feeling about that right like of course we've got stranger worlds right around the corner but like this is a a great season of star trek ending and b a show ending right it's our first show yes it was you know they probably were never going to do more than three seasons Mm -hmm. but it's still the end of a star trek show the first end of a star trek show that we've had since enterprise went off the air yeah great point uh, in 2005 there's still an air of sadness and melancholy about that even if it is going out on a triumphant high that you know knowing that there's still plenty of star trek left to come is uh, no bad thing indeed yeah, I think giving that an opportunity to breathe is the right the right thing. And there has been conspicuously little as far as the ramp up uh, marketing wise and no trailer, no nothing really for Stranger right. World Season 2. Yep. So they're going to need a little little lead time, I yeah. think, to get, get that up and running. All right, my theory this week is a super weak one, which is just that I think there's one more big surprise left to come in Star Trek Picard, right? Like, Ooh. I don't think, like, I it just doesn't feel to me like you shoot everything in episode nine, right? That, like, if, if you're crescendoing up, there's just, there's one more big thing left to come. But I honestly don't want to think more about it, right? Like, yeah. to the point you made right up front, I, I, after episode nine, I'm really just ready to experience what they have for me with episode 10. And I don't, like... I could spend this whole little section of the show saying, here's exactly how I think episode 10 will go, and here are the plot points and plot beats that I think there will be, and I've talked about how I think the season will end, and I still kind of think the season will end that way in, like, an episode of Weekly Trek, like, three months ago. So I'm not going to do that this week, because it just feels unfair to the season to do that. Like, I think it behooves all of us to just kind of write, like, there was this big... I think everybody did a pretty good job this week of holding all of the spoilers until Saturday. Right? Yeah. Like late last night, US time, Terry Metalis tweeted the cast picture on the Enterprise D bridge and that kind of opened the floodgates. But throughout Thursday and Friday, most people were pretty good about, you know, kind of keeping on the DL about what had happened in the episode. I think episode 10 is going to be a really big episode too. I think Star Trek Picard is going to go out on a triumphant high. I don't think the high comes in episode nine. I think the highest high theoretically comes in episode 10 with the finale and so i'm really excited about well like if the enterprise d is the high on episode nine like what's the high for episode 10 we'll see i don't know i think i think there's another big thing a big high coming for us to really look forward to and to sink our teeth into and and beyond that i'm just ready to be there for the experience and enjoy it so yeah no real theory for me this week strange one (laughs) i do this every week so i'm taking a week off this week and just saying i'm ready to enjoy and be surprised by what the series finale of star trek picard has in store for us do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Strangely Worlds, Lower Decks, or Prodigy that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek or email them to me at weeklytrek at the tricordertransmissions.com and I might feature your theory in a future episode. 
Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Bill Mann, for joining me today. Bill, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? So you can find me on Twitter, uh, where I share little episode reviews as I rewatch all of Star Trek, kind of on a continuous loop, it seems like at this point, at TrekFan4387. And you can find me on Alternating Sundays on YouTube on the Trek Live channel, uh, where my friend Dan and I just kind of shoot the you know what about kind of whatever we feel like talking about in the world of Star Trek. Do a lot of recapping what we're watching in, in our running rewatches, as well as kind of covering stuff like Picard Season 3 as it's happening. Uh, every other Sunday at 10 a.m. On, on YouTube on the Trek Live channel. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Bill. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. <laughs>